Dress the History of Fashion is a production of iHeartRadio. With over 7 billion people in the world, we all have one thing in common. Every day, we all get dressed. Welcome to Dressed, the History of Fashion, a podcast where we explore the who, what, when of why we wear. We are fashion historians and your hosts, April Callahan and Cassidy Zachary. So Dressed listeners, for today's Fashion History Now, we are going to be joined by Vogue staff writer Christian Allaire. Christian's work first came on my radar last summer after attending Santa Fe Indian Market, the fashion show annually presented there, on which Christian wrote this incredibly wonderful piece on the designers featured in that show. And I soon found out this article was only the tip of the iceberg of Christian's contributions to Vogue.com, which includes daily and sometimes twice daily contributions by the fashion journalist. Yeah, I'm just going to say twice daily. That's a ton of work. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, while many of his articles discuss everything from politics to celebrity style and also other various elements of fashion, Christian has dedicated a significant amount of his work to highlighting the incredible work of various Indigenous communities and individuals, which is bringing a much needed visibility to Indigenous designers and artists in this really exciting and unprecedented way. And we are so excited to learn more about Christian's work. Welcome to Dressed. Christian, welcome to the show. It's such a pleasure to have you here with us today. Thank you for having me. Oh, first of all, I just want to tell you that I went to Vogue.com to prepare for this interview. And I'm thinking, okay, I'll just put Christian's name in and I'll like read all of his articles and then, you know, I'll be prepared for this interview. I was not prepared for how many articles you have written. (laughs) Yeah, I mean... It's been three years, a lot's happened. Oh my goodness, you write sometimes two articles a day. Um, Such an incredible amount of work that you put in um, at Vogue.com. And I should say that I did kind of make it through all the articles scrolling. Oh my God. I believe we share a love for Lady Gaga. There are some themes that come up. (laughs) But you really write on this wide breadth of topics on everything from celebrity style to politics, contemporary fashion to vintage fashion, fashion history. I'm so impressed with with everything you write about. And I love that you love fashion history, obviously. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, You exhibit also this real appreciation for the art and craftsmanship of fashion, um, pop culture, fashion history. Anyways, people will obviously get on and start reading your work if they're not already. But before we delve into it a little bit more, I would love if we could start today just hearing a little bit more about yourself. What inspired your love of fashion and how did this lead you to this career in fashion journalism at Vogue? It's a great question. So I am Indigenous. I'm Ojibwe from Nipsing First Nation, which is not a small nation, a big enough nation in um, Canada. I really sort of attribute my love of fashion to just my upbringing, going to powwows. My sister's a jingle dress dancer. So I feel like I was always surrounded by this beautiful regalia and just like this beautiful design. And I think honestly, that's where my love of fashion started because otherwise it was a small town in the middle of nowhere. You know what I mean? So I've always been interested in fashion. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I'm not skilled designer. I'm not a good sewer, but I loved writing even in high school. So I decided to do journalism and write about fashion and write about design that maybe wasn't being talked about, like especially from a cultural angle, like indigenous fashion or other underrepresented communities. 
So I kind of made that my focus and it's kind of been what I've been doing now, Vogue and throughout my career, really. Yeah. And in February, you actually pinned this wonderful article and it was entitled Why Indigenous Beadwork is My Idea of Luxury. And you shared a little bit more about your indigenous heritage and your culture. And this is, as you mentioned, just one of numerous articles that you have dedicated to the past, present and future of indigenous fashion um, on Vogue.com and in Vogue. And recently, indigenous beadwork artist and fashion designer Jamie Akuma credited you with bringing visibility to indigenous fashion designers in the fashion industry in really unprecedented ways, in ways that, you know, just have not been done before. And she's not alone in her accolades of yourself and your work. This is made all the more remarkable by the fact that you are making these inroads and contributions at one of the world's, I mean, at the world's leading fashion magazine at Vogue. Why is shining a spotlight? I mean, it probably goes without saying, but why is shining a spotlight on indigenous fashion and culture such an important part of your work? Um, well, I, I think I share the same sentiment as a lot of indigenous, you know, people who are interested in fashion and that we just haven't seen ourselves represented in any sort of mainstream media. It's just not been a conversation. There's, you know, designers aren't covered and they're still not covered, to be honest. You know, I probably don't cover as much as I should, but I think it's just, I've always been fascinated with it and I knew I wanted to write about it. And luckily people are hungry for this content. So whenever I do write about it, it it tends to do well. And so that allows me to keep doing it. But it's just important to shine light on this beautiful design, which I think rivals like the biggest couture houses all the time because, you know, the amount of hours and thought that goes into garments Indigenous designers are making, that should be, you know, in museums, let alone covered on a website. It's, uh, you know, crazy. So, you know, I just, I feel like if no one else is going to do it, I might as well do it. Yeah. And I can, and you've done it and you've done amazing. I mean, I'm constantly pleased with all of these different designers and artists that I'm being introduced to. I go right out and follow their work. I mean, it's just incredible. And like you said, there's like this whole world out there. I mean, really the world's your oyster and who you're going to cover because it could be its own entire entity. Can you highlight a few of your favorite fashion designers and or topics that you've covered? I know I have a few of my own that I'd like to to bring up. Yes. Uh, just indigenous or in general? Um, In general. Let's yeah. do both. It's like picking children. But uh, <laughs> in, in the indigenous realm, I'm definitely a fan of Jamie Okuma. I mean, she's an OG. She's been doing this a really long time and constantly innovating. I really love the streetwear brand Mobilize. It's also indigenous based in Vancouver. I think it's really cool to see traditional takes on streetwear. I think that's really interesting. Carrie Atumbi is an amazing jewelry designer who whenever I get married, she'll be making my (laughs) wedding band because I'm obsessed. I mean, the list goes on. Elias Jade, Not Afraid, is an amazing beadwork artist. You should check out his Instagram. It's crazy. But even, you know, non-Indigenous, some of my favorite brands right now. Oh, God. Well, Micha Prada, I mean, as always, <laughs> I, I don't know how I have so much Prada. But I somehow managed to save up and buy it, but I'm a huge Prada fan. 
always surprised by Dries Van Noten and the colors and prints he does. Oh God, I could go on and on. (laughs) I know. And like I said, you've written so many articles and covered so many different topics. One of my favorite articles that you wrote was on, uh, I think it was the 20th anniversary of Britney Spears's Oops, I Did It Again video. And you did this pop culture history lesson on her red latex suit, which was so fascinating. And something you just don't consider when you're watching that video, you're like, how is this woman dancing in this outfit and looking so beautiful? but she did it. Yes. Well, I'm not only obsessed with Britney. I mean, that's my number one, but I'm obsessed with pop culture. You know, I wanted to be a celebrity when I was 10 and still want to be a celebrity. (laughs) Um, But like, I've always been obsessed with that whole culture and especially like pop stars. So whenever I get to write about a pop star, I am down. (laughs) Yeah, I'm a huge Britney and Gaga fan too. So obviously appreciate your work. A couple other articles I wanted to highlight that I really, really enjoyed because you don't just do fashion designers. You wrote this wonderful article, The Indigenous Two-Spirit Couple Matches Their Regalia, about the couple Adrian Stevens and Sean Snyder, who I now follow and adore. I mean, such a wonderful couple. And what they do is just incredible. You did such an incredible job just invoking their love story and sharing with us about their culture and how that all intertwines in in the work they do and the beautiful beaded regalia that they wear. I mean, what an incredible story. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I think a common misconception about what I do is that I just write about fashion. And when I'm like, you know, thinking of a story or thinking about covering someone, it's never just the clothes. In fact, that's quite secondary. I'm more interested in the story behind them and why they make the things they make, why they wear the things they wear. It's not just aesthetics. That's, you know, if it has great aesthetics, great. That's probably why we cover it. But I need to, you know, I'm more interested in people, frankly, Mm -hmm. and their stories. So that was like one example of just this really beautiful couple who's like changing the norms in the powwow scene. But then what makes it Vogue is they also, you know, make their own regalia and have really beautiful (laughs) fashion and, So I love finding those stories. It speaks to so much just the value, which we talk about all the time on Dressed, just the value of clothing. And clothing is obviously an extension and a symbol of of their love story and their bond. Um, So clothing can mean so many different things in so many different ways. And also, as you just said, it kind of gives you an excuse sometimes to tell these broader stories. You also wrote a lovely article about Jamie Akuma and her mother called How This Indigenous Mother and Daughter's Beadwork Brings Them Closer Together. Jamie is famous for a variety of reasons, but she does these hand-beaded Louboutins, which are just insane, the amount of work and artistry that goes into it. But she also, you'll appreciate this, obviously, because you love pop culture. I love all her pop culture references in her work. Mm -hmm. I mean, she does a beadwork, like I think there's a Jack Nicholson from The Shining um, beaded clutch that she did. I mean, she's incredible. Yes. And I love every time you you cover her. Yes, Jamie is... People don't, I mean, I'll say it, but like Jamie's a huge, like, she loves like creepy, like horror genre stuff. And so I love when she really goes like twisted and like goes off and does these pop culture beadwork. Like nobody else is doing that, you know, like she is unparalleled. Yeah, absolutely. 
And she loves fashion too. I mean, she's a, she loves fashion and she incorporates all of these different elements into her work and in new and exciting ways. And she has a ready to wear line dress listeners. Of course, it's already sold out. It's sold out within an hour, but um, definitely follow her work. I mean, just so, so many articles, um, so little time. I would love if we could shift gears a little bit um, and talk to you a pretty poignant conversation that is actually quite, you know, it's, it's very relevant today. It's always kind of circulating. I actually heard you on a wonderful panel discussing it with Karina Emmerich for Slow Factory. Cultural appropriation versus cultural appreciation, especially in regards to indigenous fashion. How do we appreciate and not appropriate? Yes, good question. Um, I mean, are we talking about from a consumer or as a designer? No, that is a very good point. I would say as a consumer, mm-hmm. um, let's start there because yeah. I think a lot of our listeners are consumers and a lot of them have those questions like, can I wear an Indigenous design design mm-hmm. as a non-Indigenous person? Yeah. As a consumer, I would say to culturally appreciate something, you would buy directly from an Indigenous artist. Um, the main question, like you said, that I always get is, can I wear Indigenous design? Like, if I'm not Indigenous? Yes, absolutely. In fact, you should. Uh, I think, you know, by doing that, you're supporting authentic artists and you're buying something that's, you're guaranteed as inoffensive or out of context. You're buying the real deal. To appropriate... I think you would buy something at, I don't know, some fast fashion retailer that's taken cues from the culture, but hasn't involved them in any way. Um, that's where things go really sour. And we see, you know, really sacred items being used in the wrong context and being totally offensive. So I would just say, like, be smart about what you're buying. If you love, say, beadwork, just, you know, research a real Indigenous beadwork artist. There's so many, and I can always recommend. (laughs) Dress listeners, we often refer to ourselves on the show as dress detectives, but what if we told you that you could travel back in time and solve your own fashionable mysteries? Because you can, by joining us in playing June's Journey. And April, I can't tell you how much fun I've had playing June's Journey. It's this <laughs> hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story. It takes you back to the glamour and intrigue of the 1920s with this diverse cast of characters. And basically, each new scene takes you further into the story of a thrilling murder mystery that sets the main protagonist, June Parker, on a quest to solve the murder of her sister and uncover her family's many secrets. You will sleuth with June in the antique parlors of New York, the chic sidewalks of Paris, and you can even build your own luxury island estate where you get to decorate and plant decadent gardens. And there's also a chat and challenge feature where you can play alongside friends. So join us, dress listeners, in putting on your detective hats and escape to a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Cass, as you know, we are going to be expanding our fashion history travel offerings this year. Mm -hmm. So you better bet that I'm going to be brushing up on my language skills with Rosetta Stone. With more than 25 languages offered, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and so many more, that world out there is practically at the tip of your tongue. And that's right, dress listeners. For more than 30 years, Rosetta Stone has been the expert in language learning. There are no English translations, so you really learn to speak, listen, and 
think in that language, which is incredible. You learn by immersion and their programs are available to use on your desktop or as an app. And let's not forget that there is an amazing built-in true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation so you learn the proper accent from the very start. For a limited time, dress listeners, you can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off by visiting rosettastone.com forward slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com forward slash today. There's a, an indigenous activist, Kinsal Hughes, on Instagram, and she's constantly pointing out how indigenous beadwork's been appropriated by all of these jewelry designers with no context, no reference to where the original design came from. And it's it's pretty astounding. I think it's so much about it is education because as a consumer, you might buy that from this brand and not and not have any idea because they didn't tell you. And I think that's that's a lot of the dialogue that's out there now. It's like, as a consumer, educate yourself, educate yourself about who's making your clothes, <laughs> uh, the company that's producing it, or buy directly from a designer who is transparent and, you know, gets rid of all that in between. Yeah, no, I think a lot of people think appropriation is ending because we're not seeing like headdresses or like we're not seeing the really obvious things as much anymore so we're like great like the tide is changing but there's still so many smaller things still happening like like be, like you said beadwork is still being copied every single day but I, I do think people are smartening up I will say that even you know friends of mine who are buying things will just come to me and be like should I buy this is this bad like I feel like people are starting to think about this which is you know all you can ask for really Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for um, enlightening us to that, because I think it's really important. And I mean, the designer questions probably its own podcast, because Mm -hmm. designers, like you said, it is changing a little bit, but I swear that it's still happening. Yeah, It's shocking when you like when you see it happen, but it still does happen. And like you said, work directly if you're a designer work with that culture directly and make sure you're benefiting that culture too and not just taking. Exactly. That's the main (laughs) point for designers. Yes. Are there any collaborations that you've seen that you think did it well, did it correctly or brands that have responded in light of all these current events that are are doing a good job at incorporating these elements? (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, I haven't seen any lately. And I mean, the feedback I get from indigenous artists a lot of the time is, Yes, it would be great to collaborate with a big fashion house. I mean, who wouldn't want to do that? But they would rather collaborate with other Indigenous artists. Because Mm. when you're collaborating with a French fashion house, you have to kind of go back to the basics and explain your culture in the most basic way for them to like get it and get on board. But if you're collaborating with another Indigenous artist, you can really do something hyper-specific to like both your tribes. You can really do something new and interesting. Like, I think that's also what I'm just more interested in seeing too. Like just people having the agency to actually do whatever they want versus partnering with someone who wants one thing from them. Right, right, right. You know what I mean? Yeah, 
Yeah, that's a really good point. And hopefully we'll see a lot more of that moving forward. Because I think what your why your work is obviously so important is because you are a conduit for these sort of exchanges to make it to the wider world and in a wider context. I mean, an international context, right? So, I mean, thank you for sharing all of these, (laughs) all these incredible artists with us. And we'll obviously continue to look out for your articles. Yeah. I'd love to hear a little bit more about how you find inspiration for your articles, because you're really producing this prolific amount of content. It's so hard for me just to sit down and like write a podcast episode and you're doing it like every single day. <laughs> so where do you find your inspiration? It's, it's, yeah, it's kind of like crazy. Since I do cover so many things, luckily enough, I always have something to write about because, you know, the world doesn't stop. I would say you know, mindlessly scrolling on Instagram is always beneficial to me. I've, I've found so many brands just randomly stumbling upon their work that way. Also just, you know, you interview someone, we'll talk about someone else. So then I'll look into them. Like people always just come to me very easily, which I'm grateful for. But then also, you know, just not even designers, but I, I do a lot of celebrity style and I mean, they're do, they're posting every day. So there's always something to write about, you know? Yeah, you also just wrote this wonderful article on the lesser known history of the black cowboy. Mm. Um, was that something that came to you? I mean, I agree. Instagram is this incredible way to like reach all this information that you're not necessarily expecting. But are there some stories that you kind of seek out because you're looking to show that, you know, kind of alternate text or alternate story or trying to rewrite history in a way? Yeah, no, like there's definitely ideas I have that come out completely out of the blue. And I'm just like, we should do this. I mean, the Black Cowboy thing was interesting that you mentioned that because that was during, you know, the Black Lives Matter protests. And we were seeing a lot of horseback riders at the protests. And I think a lot of people think of cowboys as the white Texas ranchers. Um, But in fact, you know, a lot of Black cowboys were the first to pioneer you know, not only that look, but the whole lifestyle of being a cowboy. And that that was not, it's still not a popular known history. So that just came out of really the news and what was happening at these protests and wanting to delve a little bit into that. Yeah. And you also write political articles. You wrote a wonderful article on Deb Howland, who is um, one of my newly elected New Mexico state senators, which I'm very proud of. New Mexico just elected all women of color Mm -hmm. to the Senate. I think the first state to do that, which was just incredible. And what a feat. Yes. Do you see the intersections of politics and fashion? Do you write on on that a lot? Or is that something that interests you? It is. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and say I'm a politics expert. That's, that's not my background. (laughs) You know what I mean? But I think, you know, like everyone, I'm interested in what's going on in this country. I mean, just because I'm a fashion writer doesn't mean I can't write about something if I feel strongly about it, if I think we should cover it and no one else is. I think everyone's role at, you know, a digital site is loosening up in that you don't have to stick to your one lane. And, you know, we're seeing fashion magazines lean into politics as we should, because that's just the moment we're living in. Yeah, absolutely. And they're so intimately intertwined in so many ways. Well, yeah, like designers are doing whole collections that riff off just politics, you know, or like they're more politically savvy or yeah, fashion is more political than ever. Yeah, absolutely. And fashion does not happen in a vacuum. You know, it is constantly responding to the world around it and is reflecting that in so many different ways. So, I mean, 
it'll be interesting to see what the upcoming fashion collections will be after this year. I mean, it's just incredible the amount of things that have happened this year. I mean, I don't know if incredible is the right word, but it's it's pretty astounding. And um, fashion is definitely going to respond. So we'll see. We will see how that goes. So as someone who's just embarking, I mean, I think you said you've been at Vogue for three or four years now, and then and you've been a staff writer for a year, if I'm not mistaken. As someone who's just embarking what is sure to be a long and successful career in fashion, what do you hope to see from fashion and the fashion industry in the future moving forward? Mm. Well, I think this summer has been, well, thanks to the Black Lives Matter movement, really, we've seen diversity come to the forefront. And that's crazy to say in 2020, you you know, long overdue. But I think now we're we're starting to see more opportunities to spotlight smaller designers from all sorts of walks of life. And I hope that becomes the norm. And I hope that we continue to think about ways of spotlighting these people um, every single day. I think we've all been guilty of doing things that are easy or safe or, you know, doing the same, covering the same people. But I, I hope to see um, the whole industry support smaller businesses and smaller designers, smaller models, that sort of thing. And I think we're starting to see that. And that's what I'm most excited to see. But it's nowhere near perfect either. This is only be the beginning stages. And what role do you see Indigenous fashion playing in that landscape? Because I think what you said is, is really interesting in terms of like shifting how we define fashion. You know, so many of us define fashion within the narrow context of fashion weeks, um, you know, haute couturiers, fashion designers from the CFDA who participate in these institutionally prescribed fashion weeks. But that is just one fashion system. Like there's designers, like a lot of these indigenous designers you feature are operating completely outside of that fashion system. And they're not creating clothing that's meant to be worn once and discarded. And they're not creating, you know, fashion collections four times a year. It's really about focusing on like the value of the craft and not that capitalist system that just wants more and more and more. Mm-hmm. So what ways do you see indigenous designers contributing to the future of fashion? Because I think it's going to be a really important shift, hopefully, in seeing how we interpret fashion and produce it, consume it. Yeah, well, I think, you know, the old school method used to be like, you need to show four seasons a year, you need to be in these retailers for us to even consider covering you, um, like that sort of thing. But now indigenous designers especially are, you know, showing direct to consumer, dropping things whenever they want, when they feel like it to, you know, eliminate waste, be more sustainable. And I think that that's something that everyone's embracing at the moment. Even top fashion houses, you know, are now skipping major seasons and just dropping things when it makes sense for them. And that's how it should be. Like, you know, fashion should be a little bit smarter about the way it produces, the way it, 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 sells things to people the way it makes things and i think indigenous designers have been always doing that and are uncredited for this movement but i think people are you know taking notice i guess is what their role has been 
Right. And you're talking about indigenous designers being sustainable and caring about the earth and paying attention to, you know, the the environmental impact of the production of fashion. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it just it just speaks so much to us as consumers that like you have a role in shaping the future of fashion as well. Like be more proactive about who you consume and how you consume. And there's so much more value to be placed in like doing your research teaching yourselves about these designers and and purchasing and investing in their work because it is an investment. Mm-hmm. It is not something that you are going to wear once and throw away. And I think really learning about those things helps it to kind of shift that narrative and our relationship to clothing. Yeah. I just I um just did a story with a, a sustainable stylist who helps you be more sustainable with your wardrobe. So I wrote about that and like I'm someone who a year ago I would like go to Zara and buy something when I needed something like just would not even think about it twice. So she really like whipped me into shape and was like, you need to be thinking about even for neutrals, like think these are the sustainable brands you can be buying a white t-shirt from. If you want a more fashion piece, here's some more sustainable brands. And she also helped me think about getting rid of clothes not just throwing things away, but, you know, how to donate or um, resell or... So that was really, like, I found to be... Her name's Cassandra Dittmer. I'll give her a shout out. Um, She really, yeah, taught me a lot about that. And it's something that I'm now thinking about when I'm shopping. Well, and I love that too, because if she's... I mean, is she a celebrity stylist? It's interesting to think of the role that stylists play in the production of fashion, in fashion shoots, at fashion magazines, but also on the red carpet um, and at all these different events. So if you're working with celebrities and working with people like yourself to just like change your mindset. I mean, these are the steps that are happening that, I mean, they might be slow coming, but I think we'll really start to see a shift in the next coming years. And we have you to report on it and share it with us. (laughs) 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 Krista, thank you so much for joining me today. It was such a treat to talk to you. Same. Thank you so much. Thank you, Christian, so much for being here. And Cass, this was really exciting to see this type of work coming from a fashion journalist that is really at the very beginning of his career. I'm so excited to see the ways that Christian's contributions and covering these Indigenous designers is going to continue to shape the future trajectory of Vogue and the fashion industry for years to come. And especially now we are having such important conversations, April, as you know, we've had them many times on the show about the systemically racist practices that have controlled the fashion narrative and industry for far too long. And we're really seeing the breakdown and the challenging of these practices today. And we're going to see a lot more work coming from designers operating outside of that traditional fashion industry and those traditional fashion systems really around the world. So hopefully we'll see changes in how fashion's produced, who designs it, I mean, who's celebrated for designing it, how fashion's consumed, and how fashion's valued by customers. There are so many Indigenous designers and their work that really embodies the value to be placed in dressed. So not as something that is utilitarian, although there's certainly value there, but or, or definitely not something that'd be just worn once and thrown away, but really starting to value clothing and elements of dress as something imbued with meaning. Yeah. And I think this is just like a consumer mindset shift, right? That we all have to like start thinking a little bit more deeply and intensely about the things that we purchase, why we have them and our relationship to these objects, you know? Absolutely. In closing, we would like to leave you with a quote from Christian's article, Why Indigenous Beadwork is My Idea of Luxury. And talking about growing up, Christian says, 
quote, I quickly learned that my culture's definition of luxury is not based on brand names, but rather owning something that has a lot of heart put into it. Pieces are valued for their spirit and not their monetary value. Heirlooms are passed down through generations and pieces are considered special because of the hands or the stories behind them. So... On that note, dress listeners, may you consider the hands, stories, at heart put into an item of clothing in your closet next time you get dressed. Remember to tune in this Tuesday for our full-length episode. And if you have a moment to rate and review us on iTunes, we always appreciate hearing from you. And we also love hearing from you on email. So do so at dressed at iheartmedia.com. You can also direct message us on Instagram at dressed underscore podcast, where you'll find images accompanying each week's episode. And you can also follow us on Facebook at dressed podcast without the underscore. As always, special thanks to our producers, Casey Pegram, Holly Fry, and everyone else at iHeartRadio who makes this show possible each and every week. Catch you Tuesday. Dress, the History of Fashion is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you listen to your favorite shows.